This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Liquid Amber Tattoo and Art Collective. Liquid Amber provides custom and cosmetic tattoos alongside a curated art gallery dedicated to celebrating local artists. And their monthly art socials are becoming a can't-miss event in the Vancouver cultural scene. Discover more at liquidambertattoo.com. And stay tuned to learn more about Liquid Amber's call for submissions for a film industry art showcase coming in 2020. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Furminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Now, Gabrielle Rose is here today, and uh, she has admitted to me that she has not listened to the podcast, which is totally okay, Uh, but I'm about, so Gabrielle, what's going to happen is I'm going to make a sweeping thesis statement, and then I'm going to watch your face for a reaction, and then I'm going to continue. Does that sound good? Okay. (laughs) She nods. (laughs) Gabrielle Rose sits in the pantheon of Canadian acting legends. Her face reveals nothing. There's a little bit of an eyebrow lift. Okay. That might sound like an overstatement or an exaggeration, but I assure you listeners that it's not. Gabrielle Rose is busy. She's a face you know. She's a voice and an acting legend that you love to see. She's constantly adding to an impressive filmography that features iconic fare like The Sweet Hereafter, Maudie, Robson Arms, and The X-Files. Her list of stage credits is equally lengthy and includes farce, tragedies, and multiple characters, including Ethel Rosenberg and a rabbi, in the Arts Club's 2017 production of Angels in America and the Electric Company's multimedia spectacle, The Full Light of Day, which, as an aside to listeners, this is the play that Amanda and I spoke so lovingly about during Amanda. And his episode and also one where uh, Gabrielle had us both convulsing silently with sobs. I don't actually probably not so silently. It was full body sobs uh, at one point. Gabrielle's won numerous awards, including five Leos and UBCP actress Lorena Gale Woman of Distinction Award. And in 2007, Women in Film and Television Vancouver named her Woman of the Year. Thank you very much. Gabrielle has played all manner of emotions and character arcs and all manner of screen and stage projects. And you could say that performing is the family business. Her grandfather, L. Arthur Rose, was a playwright, producer, and vaudeville artist. And her father, Ian Rose, played Fleens. Is it Fleens? Yeah, I think Fleance. Fleance? (laughs) With an accent. Yeah, Fleance. I I did actually look at online and it said Fleens and I'm like but that just doesn't seem right. Anyway her father Ian Rose played Fleens in a particularly fraught production of the Scottish play that starred Sir Laurence Olivier in the title role. So today we're going to talk with Gabrielle Rose about the family business. We're going to talk about her journey from from there to here and we're going to hopefully get some insight into the roles that this iconic actor from the Pantheon of Canadian acting legends loves to play. 
Gabrielle Rose. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thanks for having me, Sabrina. I'm busy looking up Pantheon. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you were doing in your mind? I mean, I imagine a Pantheon as a a big room. It's all white marble. There are columns. And then... Definitely columns. Yeah, and then there's... Statues and there's you, <laughs> dressed in some sort of robe. Total robes, yeah. Maybe with a, yeah, boob exposed or totally. yeah, totally. <laughs> yes, you know. I mean, and it's it's always interesting to to talk about pantheons and legends and icons in Canada because our like we do not we haven't built up enough respect for the star system, in my humble opinion, and that's something I'm trying to to rectify. And you know you're doing an amazing job. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I think that you are iconic in ah! our society and our little community here in Vancouver. Gabrielle Rose called me iconic. Oh my god. Okay, so you're super. You're just gonna make me get all the feel. See, this is the thing with Gabrielle Rose. I love saying your full name, Gabrielle Rose. <laughs> uh, but, but also like with Camille Sullivan, we were talking about you know your your uh, frequent now frequent screen partner, Camille oh, Sullivan. Yeah. One of my favorite people. Favorite, in the world, but world. you both are responsible for making me and many others just sob and just have all of the manner of feelings, you know. And yet, off screen, off stage, you're both delightful and funny. And she just makes me laugh. Yeah. Oh, I bet. She made us laugh, too. All right. I want to... Let's begin with some time travel. Okay, okay. I want to go... Oh, you look so serious. Like, okay, no. we're actually going to... Yeah, okay. We're, this is... We're in the Wayback Machine now. We're going to go back in time. I don't know where we're going. Are we going to Kamloops? I, I want to go and, and meet a young Gabrielle Rose who's like eight years old, which is the age that my daughter is now. Tell me what kind of a kid were you and what you wanted to be when you grew up. Well, I was born in Kamloops, B.C., and I was born on a street called Battle Street. You were, oh, Battle Street. Maybe I wasn't born there, but I lived there for the first five years of my life, and it was one of those streets that you might see in a movie nowadays with, it wasn't paved, there's a little gang of us, like a Charlie Brown gang that ran around, you know, uh, playing tag and all of that sort of iconic 50s life yeah that you could live in those days unsupervised you know my mom would call us in for supper basically (laughs) and that would be our day yeah um and then we went to England when I was six I think I was six and so when I was eight I was living in the country in England outside of London in a beautiful little village called Bletchingley and yeah eight is a, a special age I think People are perhaps at their clearest yes. at eight. They're uninterrupted by hormones yeah. and have maximum brain power. So maybe we should look to the eight-year-olds to save uh, save the world. <laughs> you know, I am though thinking about some uh, some interactions I had with my eight-year-old daughter trying to get her ready for school today, and I don't know if I would want her in charge of global affairs at this point. Oh my God! No. Um, but she does have maximum <laughs> brain power. That is for maximum brain. Power. That is for damn sure. So. What what did you want to be? I mean, we talked about how how entertainment performing was the family business. Growing up in in creativity, yeah. you know, which not everybody who comes through the studio has. You know, a lot of times they're the outlier because they're the ones who want to go this path that nobody else has taken. But growing up surrounded by by that, what did you want to be? Well, I did want to be an actress. It, yeah. It's a funny thing because um, I think you and I had a conversation a long time ago, which is why you know so much about my background. Um, <laughs> But I, I and I may have told this story, but um, uh, my 
family took me to see uh, Midsummer Night's Dream in mm. Regent's Park wow. in England in the park in the middle of the summer. And at one point, Puck jumped out of a tree dressed in green and landed next to me. And I was young enough to think that I could grow up to be a man um, because that seemed preferable to me because they got to do more. In, <sighs> this is the 50s, right? So yeah. women's a lot of women stayed at home and um, looked after the kids. And my mother didn't particularly like staying at home and looking after children. <laughs> she was a very, very bright woman, and I emulate her. Um, but she was a bit stuck in those days. And um, anyway, so I thought, well, I could grow up to be Puck. Yeah. Jumping out of trees, that just seemed like the very best thing to do and get paid for it. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think having... You've kind a, of done that, you know, I, I mean... Exactly, and I think having an ambi ambition at an early age is a good thing, you know, because it does uh, send you in a direction, a very definite direction. Yeah. That. So your ambition then was to be puck. It was to to live other lives. It wasn't about... Because we've also had people come through this, this studio where it's yeah. like, I want to be famous. Like, the idea is about the career and not necessarily about the about the feeling yeah, the desire to be famous was definitely there. I have to say that. Um, I have to confess that because I don't find that a necessarily noble desire. Um, not necessarily at eight, though. Yeah. I think my desire to be uh, famous or to be somebody was probably in my 20s. Yeah. Um, to be in a pantheon, as it were. <laughs> I'm still looking it up. I haven't found it. I had to turn my phone off, so now I have to lo actually look in an encyclopedia. Yeah. I don't see one here. It's in the other room. It actually is in the, I have a dictionary in the other room. Oh, good. A real paper one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Parthenon. Um, yeah, I mean, we went completely off. Yeah, that ambition. But ambition in itself is not a bad thing. I think, mm. again, that gets you moving forward and yeah. makes you uh, face some fears. And facing fear is perhaps one of the greatest things man can do. Oh, what a statement. But we'll unpack that one in a minute. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Given the fact that, you know, this was the family business, and I, I actually think that I did get the, that language from you, those that yeah, specific turn of phrase true. from you, because you, I think I, if I remember correctly, and I do want to take a little aside, I interviewed uh, Gabrielle Rose, I know that's it's your first and last name, but I love saying <laughs> both of them, uh, at Neverland Tea a couple of years ago, yeah. and um, it was one of, it was to write this like, you know, a career deep dive, and we, so we did go into a lot of your past at the time, and you were telling me the story about um about your your father and his experience in that production of the Scottish play, yeah. which you actually, and I think we can actually say it here, yeah, because this we're isn't allowed to. we're allowed to because like yeah. because this is not a theater space. So you can say Macbeth, yeah, um, but in Neverland, uh, so you you said Macbeth, and then I pointed out the fact because there is that superstition that you should not say the name of the Scottish play uh, in in a theater space, and I pointed out the fact that there actually was a. a it's like a, 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 you know, those Murphy beds, but it was a Murphy <laughs> stage uh, in the space. I'm like, yeah, actually, this is a theater space as well. And so it was this dizzying moment. Like, I wasn't even sure what was happening. You leapt up. You went outside. I think you turned around three times, spit on the ground, came back in, said something. I think it was some words of Shakespeare, sat yeah. down. And I, I was like, wow. And that and that was the that was the beginning of telling me about, you know, your father being part of that very fraught production where there were injuries and there was a death and all of this associated with that so I know actors and superstition it's a uh, superstition is such an interesting 
rabbit hole to go down because uh, there's a large part of my brain that doesn't believe in any of it. Yeah. And then there's a very small part of my brain that's obviously dominant. Yeah. <laughs> that completely <laughs> believes it and thinks, well, if I don't do these things, then what will happen? And um, uh, one of the things you're supposed to do is you turn around three times, you quote 12 lines of Shakespeare, which I don't think I can do. Um, I'd, ha- I'd have to work at Bard for a couple of years yeah. <laughs> to refresh my memory. So you want to go, well, like, like six, knock, six lines in. Knock, spit. <laughs> And then somebody has to let you in, and then you're forgiven for uttering the words Macbeth, or the word Macbeth. Wow. It it was incredible to see, and everybody in the space was... I know. There's a crazy lady. Yeah, they're crazy, but it's Canada, so like they just kind of looked at you and like, okay, she's... They look down at their feet. Yeah, (laughs) she's having a moment. Poor old lady. (laughs) So, okay. So, family business, wonderful wonderful talk, but, you know, so what kind of advice or words of wisdom did you receive then once you had articulated with that clarity of... Of the eight-year-old and and all and yeah. growing up, that I want to be Puck, I want to be an actor, I want to live this life. So, okay, so you're you're growing up, you have your dad, you have people in your family who are artists. Yes. What advice were they giving you, or what wisdom did you get from their experiences? Well, I mean, you know, I wasn't actively encouraged. I don't think they thought that I would necessarily be an actress. My dad was very happy that I want I was interested in it my mother was a little more circumspect and throughout my entire career uh, would offer up advice as to what else I could do mm. which is really common and understandable particularly in the downtimes right yeah. you see somebody who's sort of in agony because they've been out of work for 6 months or a year or you know and, and I did lots of regular jobs uh, I was a waitress and a bartender mm-hmm. and all of those things you have to be for survival during the quiet times oh, absolutely and i think it's uh, it's fun too you know you if you wallow in your out of workness <laughs> um, it doesn't help you get more work yeah but if you go out and you're a productive member of society and you make money and you can buy yourself an outfit and you can get the good headshots and you could can go to a class that actually make gives you a sense of self-esteem yeah that you can't get if you're just at home in your sweats eating you know Kit Kat bars and yeah and thinking that everybody else is busy oh, yeah. and you're not and we like that's actually gotten worse in the age of social media right oh, because yeah. you go on you go on the Instagram and somebody's taking a photo of themselves in a trailer set life. you know hashtag, set, hashtag set, life. set life and it might be that they actually were only worked on set for like seven days last year and they saved up those images and they were shoot they're they're putting it out there to make themselves feel good and yet you as somebody else who is an actor you know know a, a working actor thinking oh but they're busy and why didn't I get that job and why can't I work and I mean it's it I we we have talked a lot on this podcast about mental health and the kind of the special challenges that actors face in in maintaining their 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 sense of self-worth in the fa- in the face of you know a lot of the artifice that goes along with being in the in the industry Oh, yes, and it's really um, exacerbated by social media. Yeah. It really is. It's uh, amplified. Yeah. And people, everybody is their own promoter. And I understand that. But um, at the same time, it can be very dismaying if you aren't working. Yeah. And you get to the point where you feel despair. And despair, it, it, you can almost smell it, smell it. So that if you go into a, 
I just about said spell it, so yeah. E-S-P-A-I-R. <laughs> you got it, you got it. <laughs> well, yeah, that whiff of, of desperation Absolutely. can be incredibly off-putting, right? Of so. course, it's like fear. It's like all of those sort of um, negative emotions or whatever you'd like to call them, uh, states that human beings get into and we stay away from we are we are repelled by and so it's very important I always say this to all my mentees and anybody that wants to listen to me for more than a minute and a half uh, that it's really important to keep your sense of self all the way through that your worth is not what another person thinks of you your worth is what you think of you inside and so I really encourage people to to write to uh, paint to self-express right? yeah. like to to find a creative outlet for them themselves that isn't just on the computer uh, posting pictures or yeah. um, trying to think of a witty one-liner for Twitter. Um, though, witty, I really like witty one-liners, just yeah. to let you know that. <laughs> I think all of that, I, I think it's all good. And it's like, I think self-promotion, promotion of any kind, my gosh, it's important. But if that's what, how you're, where you're getting your self-worth or how you're judging other people, like that's, well, that's where you get into trouble. I would love to say something about the judging of other people. I would love to hear what you have to say. Well, I think we should talk about it. I mean, you know, I really do. I think that something that, uh, the world when I go on social media and I see the amount of judgment pouring out of people towards other people for whatever reason I think we have to take a step back yeah people need to take a step back before they type before they press send to think about what they're saying and how what damage it is incurring yeah and everybody climbs on all the bandwagons all the time and that to me is uh, dangerous yeah it's uh, like you don't know what will happen in the future with that bandwagon that you were once on and I think that it's just take a wait-and-see approach like or if you feel compelled to go hashtag 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 maybe wait for 24 hours or an hour yeah. before you hit the send and just think about it you yeah know? Uh, is it what you truly feel or are you just on the bandwagon yeah. is it damaging to the people that you're sending it to yeah. to a point where your karma might be really uh, affected yeah have you ever done what you're accusing the other person of doing yeah like I really think we need to just uh, hold our horses a tiny bit yeah Take a breath. Take a breath. Yeah, and and maybe like what I'm trying to do more of is amplify other voices that I feel should be heard, um, or like make sure that the energy that I'm putting out there is positive, it, that it does no harm, or that it can't come back to to bite me in the ass, you know, in some other or at kind least of way. Is, uh, yeah, as you say, is positive that at least it's uh, constructive. Yeah, right. Like it's not just destructive and name calling and things like that I um is that something that you spend time talking to I mean you mentioned your the the your mentees and stuff you know because I mean there's something at the beginning of of your career social media wasn't even a, a 
a thing. I mean, I frankly, know. I was a publicist b- before I was in this life, and and I didn't deal with any social media because it was before it was even a thing. And now it's it's a presence. I mean, my gosh, you have a, one of the leaders of the free world. Instead of having a press conference, you know, he will just like just shoot off a bunch of tweets, right? Like it's exactly. it's a totally different kind of world. So is that something that that when you were working with a men- one of your mentees or you know somebody's come to you for advice that you talk to them about? Um, I've mentioned it a couple of times to a couple of them. Yeah, uh, just to hold back a little bit um, is my advice. Is, maybe it's not hold back, it's listen. Yeah. I think the big lesson that I'm getting for, for me right now, and not necessarily for a mentee or for anybody else, but is for me, is just simply listen. Yeah. Listen to what other people have to say before you speak. Um, I suddenly had a, a group of people in my life where they talked nonstop and nobody could get an, a word in edgewise, and I've done that too. Yeah. And um, and I think we're all busy talking, but nobody's listening. Yes. Yeah, I've, I, I do have people in my life who, they, they're, when I'm talking, I can see them watching me, and they're just, they're not thinking about what I'm saying, they're thinking about what they're going to say next. And I'm like, it doesn't, like, this is, there's no taking in of the information at all. No, yeah. I totally, wow. So that's like a conversation, right? Discourse, yeah. right? And I think that that's what we all need to have. Yeah, not just competing sound bites. You know, I told you I didn't know where we were going to go in our conversation today, and I'm, I'm excited that we went down this path. But I want to get back on, <laughs> I, I want to, uh, well, there is a kind of, there is a path. There are yeah, some things good. that I want to I want to talk about, uh, because I want to talk about, um, you know, you, I mean, your, your initial, you know, watershed, experience in Regent Park with Puck that was a that was a theatrical uh, performance Um, and I'm I I'm very curious about and about how you move from theater into you know the film world Uh, and I know that you make time for both you know stage and screen but how'd you get to like tell me about you know your 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 move into the the world of film and television and uh, and how how vastly different it was it was for you, especially in those those early days from theater? Well, um, I did do a little bit of film and television when I was very young, uh, right out of the, uh, theater school. I went to Bristol Vic in England, and um, I, I had a number of jobs at around that time that uh, saw me into some television experience. Well, like uh, B- like BBC t- television or uh, like um, well, not ITV or like... ITV, yes, it was. Uh, the, the, mo- the most famous one I did was a series called Rising Damp. Okay. <laughs> well, it's a it's a very evocative title. Was it a was it comedy? Yes, it's a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was starring a very famous com- comedian uh, called Leonard Rossiter. He, he died at a young age, which is really unfortunate. And um, uh, he was uh, the landlord of a very scuzzy apartment building. Hence, rising rising damp, damp. as opposed to right. it being kind of a dirty connotation. It was you know a dirty connotation. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, one of their leads uh, was having a baby, and she was playing a single woman in uh, whatever this was, the 70s, and so she took a year off, and they replaced her with a little tarty piece called me, um, (laughs) Brenda, (laughs) who took over her apartment. Oh, you're such a Brenda. Uh, I totally see you as a Brenda. Were you Brenda with with an English accent, I'm assuming? I was, yeah. I talked like this. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, you know. 
Yeah, you know, from like uh, Margate. Kind of <laughs> yeah, East End London, kind of. I was uh, an artist model. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I love that. So was it like your, so tell me about like your first day on set. Like, do you remember your first, first day on the set of Rising Rising Damp? I think I was probably really scared. But yeah. you know, on my first day, I'm really scared anyway. Like, it doesn't matter unless it's my first day with Atom or Bruce or people that I've worked with before you know these are directors that I worked with yeah but on any set I'm terrified yeah was it satisfying though to you in the same way because like I, I know I, I I know just the thing with theater there is also you you are in front of a of a live audience that is also giving well, you energy we and yeah the rising damp was a half hour uh, sitcom format with three cameras oh, okay. and so we would rehearse for four or five days and then we'd go up to Leeds to a live audience and we put it in front of the live audience okay and so the, it was a little bit li- it was very, very similar, reminiscent yeah. of theater okay. and the only way you could get a retake was to say fuck uh-huh. <laughs> Which I didn't have the guts to do. So yeah. you'll see several mistakes in my performances in that. Um, yeah, but then I had a hiatus from film and television for quite a long time. When I came back to Canada, I just did theater for, I don't know, seven or eight years. Yeah, and where did you go when you came back? Where in Canada? Um, I came back to, well, the first time I was in Edmonton, and then I went back to England, and then I came back to Halifax, and then it took me a long time to sort of, like, move from Halifax to Toronto. And then I moved back and forth, and then I eventually um, my first husband and I moved. Uh, we drove across the states, the southern states, uh, which was very educational, with our cat, and came up to Vancouver. Okay. There is a lot to unpack there. But right now, I just want to talk about the cat. How do you draw? You go on a road trip with a cat. Did you keep the cat like crated? And I have two cats. I can I can barely get them to the vet without it being an ordeal. You drove through the it deep south. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you was, take the cat out for walks and I stuff? Or? Oh, the cat was. Oh, I love that cat. His name was Boot. And oh, Boot. Oh did I, did Boot have like a like one paw that was like a different color or something? Or no, not really. It just yeah. he was. I don't know why we called him Boot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love to, was, I love talking about. He was cats. this little teeny tiny kitten, and my husband worked in the restaurant. We both were working in a restaurant at the time, but he came home one night with this tiny kitten that he found in the alley, Aww. and he put him on the, our bed. And I just remember being falling in love with him, and. Um, uh, but he was—he grew up to be a very beautiful cat that somebody said might have Abyssinian. I don't know. Oh. I don't know anything about that. So I, I don't know. We got to go get the dictionary. I got to yeah. look that, that one. <laughs> but he was this rather stunning-looking cat. And um, before we left, I tried to train him to a harness, mm-hmm. and he scratched <laughs> the bejesus out of me. Yes, he did because he was a cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but we did put him on the harness. We didn't have a crate. I didn't know about crates in those days, so he just wandered around the car, and he did quite well. Wow. He was a smart cat. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, at the same time, you're you're finding your your home and your and your voice in in the theater world here. Like what what were the what were the what did you get from those years then? How did those years change you as an actress? Um, well, they were um, they were very equalizing. Uh, I played. Ooh, what a great word. Uh, yeah, because I um, it's a funny thing. Your ego, right? Uh, 
one minute I would be up at the top of the world playing a lead role in something, and then the next minute I was unemployed and uh, working as a bartender yeah. or working as a waitress. Um, so my and each time I'd be up on the top, I would think I've made it. <laughs> and as the moment <laughs> you just sat up so hilarious, I've made it. I've made it. <laughs> and this is what I always dreamed would happen. I'd, I'll be, you know, um, I'm a star, Sybil Thorndike, or yeah. I'll be <laughs> whatever. And then the moment I had that thought, I was out of work for six months. Yeah. It just was the way it was, and it was that was sort of my um, journey. Yeah. And um, and I learned after a few hard knocks that making it just there is no such there is no such thing so it's about kind of to maintain yeah. that that equilibrium yeah equilibrium and i developed a philosophy which was i think a pretty good one which was this is a business and you need to treat it as such yeah that it, there is no uh, there is no making it that it is sort of like uh stepping stones and each time you do a good job it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get another good job yeah um but you can maybe build on what you've learned from the job that you just did, yeah, and uh, if and but the of course, and everybody will tell you this: the failures are the, your biggest teacher. Yeah, those big failures. What were some of the failures that really left an impact on you? Um, well, you know, I'm probably making an excuse. Um, I can tell you a review that I got once. Shall I tell you a review I got? Please once? do. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> So I was playing Hedda Gabler. I was only 28 years old. I was in Edmonton. And um, I opened the show. I thought I was doing a good job. I, I, I didn't really understand that I perhaps was too young to play that part. I don't know. Anyway, the, the review for the next morning, I went running down to get the reviews because I was still young enough and naive enough to think that reading a review meant something. Uh-huh. And, um, and so this the, head of the headline of the review was Gabrielle Rose ought to be shot. <gasps> And the end of the review was, would that I could have pulled the trigger myself. <laughs> oh, that's awful. <laughs> I mean, no fret. Like, just for somebody who works in media, though, you—that's an awful, awful headline. That's an awful turn of phrase. It's criminal. And but I can also imagine you running down with your eyes wide and reading that. And how do you even process that? Did somebody have the audacity to to say that? You know about work that you cared about. I know. And then walking on stage that white night was very very difficult. Yeah. And I walking into the dressing room was really hard. And um, and I got really sick. I think that it helped me get very very sick. Yeah. And um, I ended up in hospital. So. Just We're talking about know. words matter and social media and stuff. Like yeah. that's an example like of that maybe as well. Pause before you hit send. Yeah, uh, that had a huge impact on me. I've never read reviews since hmm. because of my inability to walk on stage. Like my uh, excruciating embarrassment and my inability to fix what I what this man had perceived to be wrong, and so. Um, you know, I had long chats with the director that day who felt that I was still doing a good job. I have a friend who saw it, who th- didn't know me at the time. She thought it was great. But, I mean, other people went, yeah, you're just too young. Yeah, you didn't have the maturity. It was too on the nose, whatever. I mean, that's often my problem. 
things I might be too on the nose. Um, I just think about though, you know, that that reviewer, the 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 performances that he might have cost us as well from other people who you know didn't have the the courage to continue on after a review like that. Because I'm sh- I, I I don't even know who this was, but I can almost bet that he's that he's he did this many many times. You know, people who oh, yeah. who you know who who will have that kind of vitriol once they have it, you know, again and again, and you know, like it's it's well, they the, get delight out of being snarky. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't think he's still with us. But but think of like you know if it was some somebody else getting a review like that, they might not have gone like continued on, or they, they might have been like, okay, well this is this is too hard, or they might have gone into themselves and it just changed their performances for the rest of time. Yeah, yeah. Well, but you know what? You were you were born on Battle Street, so I know <laughs> exactly. Didn't take well, your no, fight. I don't think I was born on Battle Street, but I spent a lot. You of time spent on your Battle formative years <laughs> on Battle Street in battle running with my little barefoot crowd <laughs> oh, see that's a movie that I would I would love to see yeah. you you, uh, you mentioned Adam yeah and you mentioned Bruce we're talking about Adam McGoyan yeah. and uh, and Bruce Sweeney uh, I know that that you are now very closely associated with their with their work um, can you tell us a little bit about that special relationship between actor and you know auteur director and like yeah. you know what is and like maybe talk about some of the specifics of those relationships and what's required in order to to build that trust and to collaborate in that kind of way yeah I have very special relationships with both of those men um, and I'm eternally grateful to both of them mm. um, Atom, well, you talked about introduction into the film and television world. Shortly after all of what we have just been talking about, I moved to Toronto for the third time from Vancouver, and I was no longer now with the husband that crossed the States with me. Yeah. And um, and I'm sitting in Toronto, and my agent calls up and says... Uh, there's this man, Adam Magorian, <laughs> who wants you to be in a film. And I went, oh, and it was out of the blue. I went, well, how did he get my name? And he says, well, he saw your picture on a wall. And I went, oh, okay, we'll send the script. And I got the script, and sure enough, there was a, a great script, family viewing. But my character was undressed in half of the scenes. And I went, I just don't know if I can be naked in all of the scenes. I said, maybe one. <laughs> but not all of them. Yeah. Anyway, the phone rings. It's really it's, chilly. I'm pulling my sweater over myself a little bit right now. Like. I know. And so uh, the phone rings and it's Atom Egoyan. Oh. And he explains he's not. It wasn't the sc- Scottish. Scottish. <laughs> not the Scottish guy. And, uh, and he says, well, of course, whatever you want. And I went, great. So wow. then we met and I said, how did you... He said he just liked my look. Isn't that extraordinary? I mean, it was just like complete happenstance that I ended up working with him. And all of my stuff was on um, video. He loved to mix the media, yeah. so he had uh, he had proper film, film you yeah, know, the sort of film that we no longer have. Mm. That beautiful film yeah. that has that depth and takes forever to process and yeah. <laughs> You have to cut it on the special flatbed steam back and I know. Yeah. women used to be the editors, right? Yeah. Because they were good at cutting and pasting. Yeah. 
Did you see that documentary? I haven't seen the documentary, but um, but I I I have learned a lot about editors in yeah. in recent years, uh, just because of my own interest in in them being that last line of of storytelling, yeah. you know. And uh, there, there's some we have some damn good editors up here in uh in. Well, you should Vancouver see this documentary well. because you find out that women were the original filmmakers. Yeah. Prior to the talkies. Prior to it being a big business, yeah, and um, they, that's amazing. They were all right. Yeah. What is the name? Do you know the name? We'll look it up, and we will include it in the footnotes for this episode. So okay, yeah, I have to look it up. Okay, it's a great little documentary, fascinating. Anyway, yeah, continue meeting Atom, and so my stuff was on video, and I'd done nothing but theater for eight years or something. So I said I I need to see it. So he let me come back and watch each take, so I could adjust my performance. Because one of the problems about going from theater to film is that you're a little exterior in in theater because you're expressing out. Well, you have to where, reach the people in the back of the theater yeah, and stuff and with your performance. Film is all about this inner honesty. Yeah, and um, and so that's always been a fascination for me to go back and forth from one to the other because I think that they feed each other. Yeah, I think I think being a good film actor makes you a better theater actor, and being a good theater actor makes you brave. On film, so I, I have. To I ask feel him. like would you be would you consider that being spoiled at the beginning of your of your screen career though to be like to have that that experience with uh, that not that most actors don't get to have totally. where <laughs> didn't totally. really have to audition you were chose he saw your look and then you 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 get to collaborate and go and watch everything and adjust like that I know and then invited me to the rushes which you know in those oh, days yeah. like I got to go and see the, so I I had like a in the deep end crash course on how to do film acting amazing yeah. Amazing, and uh, and then you worked together again and again and again. Yeah, we worked together. I think four or five times, um, and uh, each time was always an absolute joy and a privilege to work with him. And he's the gentlest, most intelligent human being in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and then Bruce, who uh, <laughs> most recently uh, you, I mean, the last time we the two of you worked together, I mean, to my knowledge, unless yeah. you've done something in the last few months, was. The glorious and bonkers, which is <laughs> Kingsway, I know. you know, which which uh, paired you. You were able to reunite with Camille Sullivan after playing her her estranged biological mother in The Birdwatcher, which was another film that like I wept and I convulsed, and yet, uh, and it was I I had different kind of emotional experience with with this film specifically your performance, your interactions with uh, with Camille because they were really funny. They were really like I was. What a joy to be able to laugh at a at and with a Gabrielle Rose film, uh, but but you know, how, tell me about like what, what he's like as a as a filmmaker and and that special relationship that that the two of you have. Well, so Bruce and I, I think we share a sense of humor. Like we have a similar sense of humor. Really, kind of quirky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> kind of quirky, and he's um, in the pantheon as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And he has an excellent sense of humor and an excellent sense of sardonic wit. And um, I super appreciate that in this day and age where he's he's not a political creature. You know, he's not a political person that wants to get out a great, huge message. He just wants to show you a slice of life and make you laugh with it and also make you think, you know, because it's it's um, 
it's sar- there's a sardonic quality to it. Yeah. What what I loved about Kingsway was, you know, as as somebody who lives with mental health issues, you know, uh, that we got to see the impact of mental illness on a family, you know, and also uh, the the treatment kind of presented in a way that it, we don't normally get to see. Like it was it was very normal. I got to see a therapy session in there that was very much resembled the ones that that. I have. I don't normally like. I don't lie on a couch and whatever. Like it's just right. you know these incredible conversations where we actually do the work. You know, so yeah. even despite not not trying to have a message, like I I came out of there feeling seen. You know, well, in and that I way. think it does. You know that like he's showing family life. That's his. If you like, if the, if you like, his profound message underneath it is is this. Um, supportive but this not uh, he, he doesn't want me to use dysfunctional but this supportive but oddball eccentric family bonkers also works he doesn't bonkers. want to use dysfunctional i guess is no. that because it's it suggests that there's something off or not normal about it um i think that he feels that it's an overused word oh uh, it's it's used so much that it's lost it's meaning lost it's, it's yeah it's cohesiveness. Yeah, all families are. Well, <laughs> C- Copeland had that book, All Families Are Psychotic. But all families are are bonkers. Yeah. So if you like, you know, that, that, that I would say is uh, his profound meaning underneath everything that he does. Yeah. Is this sense of community that is there for you even if they're a bit of a, an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I So um, uh, you mentioned earlier that you wanted to be Puck when you grew up uh, but for the most part the roles that you've played um, you are woman you've played female roles have you noticed you know we're, we're in a time of what some have described as profound change with how women are are being represented you know both you know behind and in front of the camera have you noticed the change at all in recent years and the kind of roles that you're reading for or or in the energy on sets you know around around woman womanhood and femalehood oh yeah oh yeah okay good i really like this change i mean of course i like it because we're seeing faces that are my face yeah. on screen and my face has been invisible for since the 40s or the 30s the yeah. old women's faces you just don't see them and you know you'll I, I always I always find it extraordinary that you'll see sort of an apocalyptic film for instance post-apocalyptic film and there'll be a, a a group of survivors and not one old woman has survived yeah. when it's usually the opposite yeah. that's true the opposite yeah. you know the old women are the survivors uh, have been for millennium yeah. you know that's the old crones that are sitting there cackling with no teeth yeah there is a wonderful <laughs> while, documentary while people die of the plague all yeah. around them and amazing yeah. just just sure. there is a great documentary which i will also find the name of to put in that is about these uh these uh ukrainian women who are all in their 80s and 90s and they are living um in an area that is considered unlivable because of the the radiation from the from Chernobyl, Chernobyl. right? And uh, but these women have like they they have 
they've had they have hard lives but they refuse to leave and they can they they go and they hunt and they pickle their own food and they they deal with wood and with snow and they survivors. are they are survivors yeah. like i want to grow up and be my baba you yeah. know <laughs> when totally. when i grow up like absolutely so i mean so where do you think that change is coming is it that the audience is pushing to see these images is it because we're getting more women in writers rooms like what what do you think is 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 driving the change yeah well I guess you know it's a combination of many many things accumulation of um, frustration fury rage yeah <laughs> I guess that's all the same thing <laughs> those three words in a way in but, a way but you know I think women are saying we've had enough we've had enough of pay inequity you know why does Michelle Williams get 80 or $8,000 or whatever she got and somebody else gets uh, a million. A million, yeah. You know, that's just nauseating yeah. beyond belief. And um, uh, the women are saying that's enough of holding up the lie all the time. Women are saying, it's. I want to see my grandmother up there. Yeah. Like, because I will be a grandmother one day and I don't want to be invisible. And so, you're, you know, you've always seen it to a certain degree in European cinema mm. and uh, you know Pedro Almodovar's he's always had women with lines in their faces yes. but now and, and then the British films they've always revered and respected some of their older actresses yeah. and they've stayed there with Judy Dench and Maggie Smith etc mm. um, but North America has always kept to these smooth smooth faces and now you know like I just watched um, all of um unbelievable and there's some magnificent faces in that of older women and um you know succession for instance which yes. i'm obsessed with i think <laughs> it's like the best television ever i mean these these television shows are starting to reflect this desire yeah and you're seeing really strong women in the lead roles i'm not yeah. going to just talk about old ladies um but strong like, and flawed women strong you know. and flawed and not not necessarily beautiful, not yeah. necessarily sexy, um, in the classic sense, yeah. you know, or in that Hollywood sense, in the Hollywood yeah. sense. But these like real women with some weight on their bones and some lines under their eyes and some sags and bags and you know, like a bit like of real normal women sticking out. And yeah, you're going, oh yes, thank you. <laughs> and even the young women look real. Like, like you're going, oh yeah, they're not all plumped up and puffed out. <laughs> yeah, Just go. Uh, I think you know. Let's. Let's celebrate ourselves as we are with all our flaws. And I think that's been moving in that direction for some time. And now we're seeing some of the fruits of that labor. Yeah. You know, the Me Too movement and all of the, that time's up, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I, it, it's exciting to know that that work was not just about hashtags. It, it actually has affected real change. Like that is very gratifying because a lot of people had to suffer and bleed and take a lot for a long time. I mean, it hasn't completely changed, yeah. to be honest. But um, but we are seeing it, and I'm I'm reaping some benefits myself. So yeah. I'm okay. Happy We're, to say that. We are going to take a break, yeah. and when we come back, I'm going to shoot a whole bunch of rapid fire questions at you. Okay. Uh, about like you're very calm. Like yes, I can deal. I can do anything. Uh, I know you can, uh, but we're going to talk about the roles that that you have. No, oh, she's cracking a little. It's like, yeah. oh, pantheon roles. Uh, but some, some the favorites, the most memorable oh. roles that scare you, roles that you still yearn to play. So I think that's a good cliffhanger, eh? Yeah, I'll, I'll think about it. <laughs> no, don't think too much. Okay, let's take that break. 
Some people claim that Vancouver is a no fun city, but anyone who says this has clearly not attended Liquid Amber Tattoo and Art Collective's monthly art socials because these events are crazy fun and bring artists and art lovers together in one gorgeous space. Liquid Amber Tattoo is located in a stunning three-story brick building in historic Gastown. Since 2001, Liquid Amber's artists have been providing custom and cosmetic tattoos to satisfied Vancouverites and out-of-towners. The studio is health board approved, it's spotless, and the artists are consummate professionals. And there is always stellar artwork by local artists on the walls. Which brings us to Liquid Amber Tattoo and Art Collective's signature event, The Art Social. On the last Friday of every month, Liquid Amber closes up early and the studio becomes an after-hours hive of creative energy. A vibrant, pulsating event space where artists show and sell their creations to art lovers and everyone is sipping wine and beer and having one hell of a good time. And right now, Liquid Amber Tattoo is on the lookout for art that's been created by artists who work in the film industry or that's been inspired by the film industry in some way. Is that you? Learn how you can submit your work to the 2020 Showcase and be part of future art socials on the Liquid Amber website. Liquid Amber Tattoo and Art Collective is located at 62 Powell Street in Vancouver. For more information about the studio and the monthly art socials, and to submit to the 2020 Film Art Showcase, visit liquidambertattoo.com. That's liquidambertattoo.com. All right. Rapid fire questions about roles. Okay, just a second. I have to center down. And, all right, I'm ready. That was a dramatic pause yeah. right there. What's the most difficult role you've ever inhabited? Mary, the one I just did in Full Light of Day. Why? Um, it was an enormous journey. Um, it was a difficult uh, the to balance the two uh, mediums was extremely difficult technically. Yeah. Um, uh, to find the complete total honesty that the director and the writer wanted me to display was not an automatic for me. Yeah. And the journey was so difficult. Like it, the actual journey of the character was so difficult. Yeah. When is, uh, of all the roles you've played, when have you felt the most uh, engaged and satisfied? Again, Mary. Wow. Mm -hmm. Because I finally succeeded. I think I finally got one performance, which I felt was absolutely got there. Really? Yeah. So that wasn't a, a nightly no. a journey of satisfaction? No. Oh. That was in Toronto. But it wasn't even in Vancouver. It wasn't even in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was. I, I know. Yeah, I know. It's just a journey of discovery. I mean, you know, that was the latest one I've done, and so maybe it's a bit of a cop out to give both of those as the answer to both your questions. Yeah. Okay. Well, here, here's something then. Uh, what is a role, a kind of role that you haven't yet played that you yearn to play? Oh, that's such a hard question. Thank you. I'd love to have at least one. Uh kind of role that I haven't played that I yearn to play she's got her eyes closed I she know. has her hands clenched I'm just having really a problem with that one anything in the future is always a problem for me yeah um, because because I'm old and I've done a lot of stuff um, you know I want to say something trite but 
I can't. I'm, I'm going to pass. How dare I, I don't know if that's allowed. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever played puck? I have never played puck. Okay. Well, we still need to. We still need to make that happen. I what? know, but I'm just. There's no way I could jump out of a tree. <laughs> I think you could, and you could also have a stunt double for that. Oh. I'm sure Maya Arrow, after she's she has become a mommy, you know she's on the, she's currently pregnant right now and still working. I you know, know isn't that extraordinary? She's so amazing. Oh, I'd love to send my blessings to her, please. Yeah, but, and, and you know they their house burnt down. I can't believe that. I know, oh. amazing. Well, we are actually going to have Maya in the in the Maya Arrow for listeners is a incredible stunt artist, stunt coordinator, Brilliant. filmmaker, and her and husband Jeff Arrow is also equally brilliant yeah yeah and they uh you've you've worked together a few times we have, yeah. yeah including on uh maya's uh mpa uh winning film hoods where you played a pretty badass character yeah yeah granny, granny. <laughs> you played granny <laughs> but no but she was badass and, and then you had a show- showdown with uh, alex bonovic if i remember I correctly hold a uh, bow and arrow yeah it looked like i knew what i was doing and yeah. they both helped me yeah Oh yeah, and their house is, was filled with like swords and stuff, and they really know how to use those. So they really do. Yeah. What about things like um, you know, going into into the sci-fi and and fantasy and stuff? Like, what are some of the 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 roles where you've got to play in you know with with swords and weapons and stunts, you know, and really push yourself in that kind of way? I haven't done very much of that to be honest. Um, and I was in Battlestar Galactica. I'm doing a show right now, a series right now, but I'm on Earth. Earth. And uh, okay. it's about a mission to Mars. It's called Away. And um, but I've got this great character. Like I've got a great sort of strong older woman character. In yeah. It. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't had a huge amount of opportunity to hit the sci-fi road. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I mean, you say that, and yet, like I, you know, you yeah, there was Sanctuary and oh, X right. Files and Continuum, and I mean, it's you've true. been all over. Yeah, you know, I think I played such sort of grounded women, like women who weren't in the sort of like a stratosphere and not yeah. with weapons. Like they were very grounded in those shows. I never played like a monster. Oh, oh, there was one, but I didn't play a monster. I just had to have prosthetics on in the. Um, Oh, she's got her eyes closed. <laughs> she's leaning back. Remember the name of it? Oh, um, we'll have to look it up. Okay, we'll look it up. We'll look it up. I will. The, the footnotes for this episode are going to be very long, people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so make sure you, ha- you head over to yvrscreenscene.com. When you are working in a genre, though, like like sci-fi or like fantasy. I'm pretty yeah. sure you're on Once Upon a Time as well, right? Didn't yeah, you play, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah played in, Prince played Charming's mom. Pr- Prince Charming's Ruth. mom. But yeah, are you are you bringing a different, uh, different, are you calling upon a different set of, of skills or is it coming from a different place as when you do drama or is it coming from all the, the same kind of place? I have to say it's coming from all the same kind of place because I think that that's what they're casting me for is like, um, is that gravitas, you know, yeah. that, that piece of me that is a dramatic actress. And so, you know, in all of the sh- shows that you've mentioned, that's what I was playing. I was playing, um, you know, bereft uh, mother, bereft mother, <laughs> bereft grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of bereft. You do, you bereft so well. I am. <laughs> and and well, I'm quite happy to be released from it. You know, when you, uh, I, I, I really am enjoying playing strong commander at the moment. Like yeah. That's, that's something that I haven't had a chance to do too much of. So I love it. 
Yeah. I mean, even Mary was she was bereft, bereft as well. I mean, she yes. was holding together that know, that I family I mean, as well. When you go to Angels in America, the one there, like that was fun because I'm playing. Uh, I played the the rabbi, I played the doctor, I played this sort of like angry mother again not not so much bereft but angry yeah <laughs> there are a lot of emotional feels with that yeah, one and Ethel Rosenberg you know like vengeful I like that that was See, amazing that's the thing is I've gotten to play almost every thing I mean I love comedy and um and I'm good at it and well, I shouldn't say that you are good at it and I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure the first it. time I saw you on stage um, it was shortly after I moved to Vancouver and it was a Noel Coward play I think it was Private Lives oh yeah yeah, yeah at the at the Stanley yeah I was like I know her <laughs> I've seen her because I'd seen you on television and stuff before I'm like she's doing something funny and farcical yeah I love it um do you still audition? Do you still have to audition? Do you go to auditions? Do you enjoy it? Like, I'm sure at this point people are like, oh, we want a Gabrielle. I would hope that at this point they're like, we want Gabrielle Rose in this role. Or like, what's that? No? No, well, you still got to audition? I still got to audition. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes I really enjoy it as yeah. an exercise. And sometimes I just feel like, oh, please let it stop. Yeah, um, but let it let the kind of the hustle, the the constant. I mean, because auditions for for our listeners who are on the outside, they're 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 job interviews essentially. That and I have to I have to actually memorize everything because I can't see very well. Yeah. So um, so there are huge exercises in memorization and in um, they can be pretty high stress situations. Um, the we do I don't know a hundred job interviews a year amazing um and and that amazing is also like i don't know if that's good or not like it's just it's staggering like that's you know i mean some of the men like who can do four or five in a day yeah it's nuts yeah like i couldn't do that and especially with some of i'm sure some of the dialogue especially in a town like like vancouver where we have a lot of sci-fi and stuff could be a lot of expository like technical dialogue right yeah no like i went up for i must have gone up for a oh See, this is the thing. I went up for a bunch of sci-fis a few years ago, very um, Stargate. And they often had, like, language that was almost impossible <laughs> to memorize. Yeah. Almost impossible. Yeah. And I was always very bad at it. Because it didn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, even, like, with something like like Shakespeare... That's that. The language means something, and you can sit there and be like, "Okay, this means this," and there's a reason for this, and you know, you can. But with if if you're not from that particular universe, and you haven't been studying it, like <laughs> yeah. uh, those those people who do Shakespeare, they study it, yeah. you know, and so they really understand the you know fourth with and yeah. you know all of the all of the Shakespearean terms. They know exactly what those mean. Yeah, and the delicious meaning behind all and of I it. And I suppose yeah. if you'd been doing Stargate for a long time, you'd understand what they were saying. Yeah. Um, we're going to do a bit more time travel. Okay. I, <laughs> yeah, I love how you do it so seriously. But we're, we're going to be you now. We're going to go back in time oh. to uh, 
to when you're eight years old. Oh, we're going back there. We're going back to eight. Okay. Um, that was when you went to Regent's Park, Regent Park, right? I was about six, I think, at that point. Okay. We're going to go back to when you're six. Okay. And you've just seen the play, yeah. and you want to be Puck, yeah. and you're thinking about the life that you're you're going to, th- this path you're going to be going on, this journey you're going to be going on, and you now get to go chance and to give you have to give some words of wisdom. To, to little Gabrielle Rose. Can I tell you a story first? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear a story. So, Are you telling her the story first? No. Okay. No, I'm going to tell you a story about the same girl. Um, and maybe about a month or two later. Oh. I was at, my father and mom took me to, um, I think it was like Henry Four or Henry V, maybe Henry V. And with the St. Crispin's Day speech? At the Bristol yeah. Vic, right? And the, um, all the soldiers are lying. This is what I me- my memory, okay? All the soldiers are lying on the front of the stage. And they're asleep. And there's a character standing towards the back in a spotlight telling me how he's going to attack them in the morning. I think. Yeah. I think that's what he's saying. And so I got out of my chair and tried to wake the soldiers up. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm six. I'm six. And the language is not something that a six-year-old necessarily would understand, but But I understood. You felt it. And my dad had to grab me and pull me back to my seat. So I don't really have any words of wisdom for that child, but I have to say, right on. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It has been... Such a pleasure, Gabrielle. Thank you so much for for coming down from the Pantheon. Well, just for, for coming and joining me today and for yeah, being so open and so kind. Uh, and uh, I, I, I hope you get to play every, every single role that you yearn to play, including Puck. <laughs> so, I mean, we did talk about social media. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Well, I am on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram, but I never look at Instagram. I don't know why. I ho- maybe we'll look at it like once every three weeks or yeah. something. It's not not my thing. But I do read Twitter. Um, and then I sort of go, I shouldn't be reading it because it's driving me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if people want to send you positive <laughs> messages over Twitter, where can they find you? Um, like sort of what is my... What is your Twitter handle, Gabrielle Rose? <laughs> um, I think it's like Gabrielle Rose... 79 or something like that. (laughs) Okay, we'll put that in the footnotes of this episode as well. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure. I want you to come back again and and we'll just tell more stories and let's go for tea sometime too. Thank you so much, Sabrina. You really are a a treasure in our community. I'm going to cry again. Stop it. Okay. To our listeners, we thank you. You are treasures as well. Please like and subscribe and leave us a review if you are so inclined. They really help us find new listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by myself, Sabrina Furminger, and it's produced and edited by Simon Furminger. We give special thanks to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger we're a family business for technical support and to Dane Devalet for the original music YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene and cut